hello F1 fans and welcome to F1 on and off the track with Kim Ilman. You can see his photos at ProStarPicks.com or follow him on Instagram at Kim Ilman and now you can find Kim on YouTube. That is true what you say, Adrian. My name is Adrian and in this episode we're talking about the pre-race for Singapore coming up this weekend. Very hazy, I'm told, up there. Several people have said, bring your face mask. Now, okay. I hate wearing face masks, and uh, I think it would have to be very savage for me to even consider that. So I think that's probably a long shot. But yes, apparently, the, I imagine the haze is from the burns they do over you know, other nearby countries, and it just affects Singapore's air quality shockingly. And that, in turn, affects the photography side of things. Mm. If you're using a long lens and you've got a couple of hundred metres uh, and you've got to cut through haze, your pictures aren't going to be as sharp. So uh, perhaps I look at taking more close-up stuff, stuff that's um, yeah, 30, 40 metres away. On a related note, the weather last year was very warm, I hear. How is it looking this year? It's warm every year. It's <laughs> okay. the most... No, maybe Malaysia was a bit more uncomfortable, but it is hard work. Malaysia was more uncomfortable because it was all in the day. At least you get, and I'm thinking, three degrees respite at night. It just knocks off three degrees off the top. But it is very hard work, and certainly the drivers would know that because they lose many kilos in uh, sweating it out during a race or one of the practice sessions. But, yeah, I must say I don't love the hot, sticky weather, but everyone's just got to wear it. Thankfully, uh, our air con- the um, media centre has beautiful air conditioning, and the media centre at Singapore is right above the paddock. So all you have to do is come out a door, you go from 18 degrees to 33 degrees, you walk down some stairs and you are smack bang in the middle of this paddock. And it's a great paddock to shoot because we get these night shots like Bahrain and Abu Dhabi. You get really lovely shots in the paddock, which I quite look forward to shooting. So how is the paddock in pit area here in Singapore? Well, they did some renovations last year and Mm. they changed the hospitality suites to two-storey affairs, which were a lot nicer than the ones prior. It's still nothing like the motorhomes in Europe or it's nothing like those permanent facilities we have in Abu Dhabi or Bahrain, but but it's, it's as good as you're going to get and it's a tight area. There is no media parking too, I thought there was... Um, some media parking, which was good. I was going to rent a car for the last day because I've got to hot-foot it out to the airport straight after the uh, Park Ferme and Podium shots. But no, you can really only get in there by foot and uh, probably end up taking the subway because it's the quickest and cheapest way in there. Cars are a nightmare with their traffic. Sort of sound like the track is a fairly modern and recently renovated kind of space. Well, the paddock is. The track's been there for a number of years. And quite frankly... I don't really get out to the back sections of the the track because to go out there, it's a fair hike and you have to devote a lot of time, time that I'd rather be shooting in the paddock. So I tend to focus mainly around the paddock area. So it's not too easy to get around this track? No. you. In fact, when I'm formatting what I'm doing on on the weekend, in fact, I'm thinking now there are two practice sessions. You get one in the heat of the afternoon on day two, Friday, mm-hmm. and I'll probably use uh, that time to go into the pits and do some stuff close to the paddock for the other half of that session. Uh, the night session on Friday, I'll, I'll probably end up on the top of a building, I think, because um, as soon as the session starts, it's about a 15-minute walk to one of these buildings, and I'll put my name down to go up and shoot from there. And the important thing for from a photography side of uh, things is to take up some graduated filters because you have the 
the sky, which is dark, certainly at the end mm. of the session it's dark. At the start of it, it's, uh, it's going through dusk, so it's, it's got a little bit of colour in it, which is nice. But if I'm shooting up there at the end of the session, I need to dull the lighting down on the ground because it's so darn bright. So that entails the use of a graduated filter so that the bottom half of the shot or the bottom quarter, you have what is like a pair of sunglasses over the lens and the top half is just clear. And that allows you to better balance the light. So that's up at the top uh, of a building, uh, and then on Saturday for qualifying and FP3, I'll probably stay close. Qualifying's done at night, FP3's done in the um, late afternoon, so you've got a, a daylight shot there. But we can pretty much shoot anywhere we like. Uh, it's just a matter of the logistics of getting to and from. If I want to go out to the Fullerton Hotel, that's going to entail getting in a bus half an hour before the session starts, getting off the bus, waiting for 25 minutes while um, the cars until the cars start, spending the full hour or hour and a half out there, and then waiting for a bus and probably 20 minutes later you're back in the media centre. So you've lost every bit of 50 minutes mm. of practical shooting, whereas it has to be a great shot for me to go and do that. I'd rather stay around the paddock and just nip out and do stuff at turn one, two, and three. Uh, I can go back the other side and do the last and second last and third last corners. They're easily accessible on foot, albeit, but um, yeah, it's it's not much of a hike. Does the track have any like notable backgrounds or shots? Oh yeah, there's uh, lovely shots from the grandstand that have Marina Bay Hotel in the background and the bay, but we've got to get out of the moat, which is the area right next to the track, and get up into the grandstand. And sometimes they let you through and sometimes they don't. And you end up having arguments with marshals who aren't aware of the rules and the fact that guys have been doing this for X number of years and they go up there to get through and some bloke who's been doing it five minutes says, no, you can't go through there. And so some of my British mates tend to get a bit vocal when that happens and um, unfortunately they sometimes don't get the shot they want. So yes, uh, it, it's a great opportunity to get a variety of stuff at night that we don't get. You have to use a higher ISO for photography people, they'll know what that is, which introduces a bit of graininess to the shot. So you're not going to get quite the sharpness that you'd get from a daytime shot, say, in Europe with lots of bright sunshine. But that's the beauty of it. You get totally different shots than you, than you get elsewhere. And somebody said, uh, because I put up on a couple of posts, it's the only night race in the world. And they say, oh, no, 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 Bahrain's a night race and Abu Dhabi's a night race. But they're not. They're dusk races. Okay. They start in light and then they go through until dark. But certainly Singapore is the only race that starts in the dark and ends in the dark. And with that darkness, what other differences are there when shooting compared to? Well, not so much a difference, but there's a beautiful um, number of shots that you can have using star filters, which is a screw-on piece of glass that goes in front of your lens, and it's got these etched lines in the glass. And when you shoot a light, like the spotlights at Singapore, they turn into stars and they yeah. create this beautiful look. And if anyone um, has seen those photos and doesn't know how they're done, it's a very simple thing. You buy a $100 filter, you screw it on the front of your camera, and then you aim it at the lights and they turn into these lovely star shapes. And you can buy three-point stars, four-point stars, six-point stars from memory. Uh, I can't remember what I've got, but I shot with them last year. And um, luckily, I managed to remember that I'll need them and the graduated filters, and I've dug them out. And they will be accompanying me to the land of Singapore. 
Going back to the balcony shots you mentioned a few questions ago, is it just the wide shot that you want to get when you're up there? I do want to get that because it's a signature shot where you see the lighting of the track and it very clearly denotes where that track is in the darkness. But you can actually use a 400 or a 600mm lens, get some close stuff, even even out to, a, say, a 200mm lens and do some motion blur shots around a corner. Um, there are a variety of shots. It's just a matter of um, can I see them in my mind? And if so, can I replicate what I see in my mind? And that's always the challenge for any photographer. This track is also one of the few that has a photographer's window really close to the track you get within like two metres of the cars. How does this one compare to other tracks that have similar spots? Yeah, there are some good spots to get close. Uh, I remember some of those bits along the bay are great. Uh, and, and underneath the tunnel, they go underneath this um, one of the flyovers there. And it's hellishly noisy there because you get the cars bouncing, the sounds bouncing off the, the, um, the freeway above. Uh, yeah, we get very close, within a few metres sometimes. Uh, one particular corner I, I like, and I use a wide-angle lens there, which must be the left-hander coming into Marina Bay. Uh, You also get some good sparking shots, and because it's at night, the sparks look so much Mm. more impressive. And it's just a matter of how much time I I want to spend trying to get a sparking shot because you've got to wait for the right cars, and there's only probably two or three of the cars that that spark well, and they're typically Toro Rosso, Red Bull, and Racing Point. I remember from the last races, they were the three that stood out to me as good sparkers. And of course, then then you've got to decide, do you shoot it at a slow shutter speed and get these lines of sparks, or do you shoot at a high shutter speed and get these little dots? If you're shooting from behind, um, you can uh, shoot at a high shutter speed and these lovely little dots of yellow light come out. And I, I, I do like this shot where you shoot through the wire with a long lens, and when you look at the dots... They actually have, and I I can't explain this to uh, you as to why this happens, you can see the lines on the wire fence that you're shooting through in the dots. Because I always thought, how has that happened? But look, I've never, I guess a scientist would know, but it's something to do with the the light hitting the the sensor and the way it bends around the, the wire. But it's really quite a lovely thing to see. Perhaps I'll go for that, who knows. F1 On and Off The Track is presented by ProStarPix.com. Stunning F1 photos live from the track, searchable and downloadable for personal or editorial use. Head to ProStarPix.com at the end of this podcast. At the start of the race last year, there was a bit of a contact between the Force India cars. Were yeah, you nearby turn for that? three. I yeah. wasn't, but uh, I had a guy shooting with me who was there and he got some shots of the cars being craned up. I was at turn one shooting the head-on. And I don't think anything exciting happened, certainly not like in 2017 when the two Ferraris took out Max Verstappen. That would have been spectacular to be up there. I was stuck around the back of the track shooting some stuff for a client, which, yeah, was dull. And, of course, I'm sitting there thinking, where's the cars? Where are the cars? We didn't have a screen and uh, you just knew that um, they'd started because there was a roar of the crowd Mm. and then uh, ooh of the crowd and then we'd sit there and think, oh, wonder what's going on. Now... You're known for having this classic black bucket hat at the races, and now it's kind of disappeared, I hear. Well, yeah, my first one that I ever had, and I've worn it about 50 races. Uh, I lost it last race. I, I remember I went out into the, 
the track and it was overcast and I thought, oh, I don't need this on because it was tricky shooting. So I just stuffed it up my jumper and shot away and then I must have taken that jumper off at some stage and not realised it was in there and it's gone. And I must say, I, I look, I don't wear it for fashion. I don't wear it um, for any other reason than I, I need to wear a hat and you can't wear a cap because a cap has a hard brim. And if you turn your camera to shoot in portrait mode, every time you put it up to your eye, you smash your your camera into your, um, the peak of the cap and it just bangs you back in the head. So I've not seen, I don't think anyone wear a cap to photograph. And look, I hardly see any of my colleagues wear hats at all. And, and some of them are balder than I am. And I think, how can you get away with that? There's sun beaming down four days every race weekend with no hat, but they do it. But uh, yeah, look, that, that one's gone. But thankfully... I got a few more, and I've wheeled out a new one. But I am somewhat famous for that. People say, "Oh yeah, I seen your black blob." Uh, that's how we know that you're in the background of a TV shot. And there's a very funny Hungarian journalist who says uh, he loves my fisherman's hat, <laughs> but it's comfortable and it has to be tight too because you can't have something loose. Otherwise, I could pick from a whole lot of things. But this is the only one I found that's the right tightness uh, and the right softness mm. because if it's not tight and the wind blows it onto the track. And into a car, I'm on the news for all the wrong reasons, and I don't want that to be uh, how things end up. Now, after this race, you have to head straight to Russia, I believe, for the next race? Unfortunately, the only flight I could get out was uh, a late-night, Sunday-night flight from Singapore to Moscow. So it means pretty much after I shoot the podium, I've got to just go straight away and do all my editing on the way to the track or at the airport because uh, otherwise I'm going to miss things. It's not that easy to get in and out of that track and that's what I'm uh, having to come to grips with. But still I've got a couple of days in Moscow before I head to Sochi. I did Sochi in 2017 and uh, quite liked it, but I stayed in the town and it was a hell of a hike out there. So this year I'm out at the the media hotel. But uh, yeah, I might do my... A video, one of my videos, perhaps wrapping up the Singapore race from Red Square and have the background of all that lovely Russian stuff, which I, I think would be a bit of a challenge for me to shoot. But hey, I'll give it a, give it a go. I've got a little bit of time up my sleeve. And um, if you see that beautiful cathedral, which uh, or that church behind me, you'll know I've got away with it. And you'll see that on YouTube under Kim Elman. Yeah, well, you bring up the YouTube and you're, you're actually starting to do some more video content. Oh, yes. My eldest son, Tyler, who shot with me at a couple of races and is a, a pretty good photographer, is a better videographer. And he's been pushing the hell out of me to do these videos. So now I've set up a studio here in my Perth office with some nice permanent lighting. And uh, I have a camera set up on a tripod that just doesn't move. Mm-hmm. So I can walk in there and turn the power on within a minute or so, be recording videos. And, I, and because we can't shoot video at the track... Uh, I take my photos and I talk about them and the the interesting things about each shot I'll bring up and then I'm doing some uh, series on each driver. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talk about how to shoot different shots. I talk about the quirkiness of the sport. I'm looking for any sort of topic that I think somebody who loves F1 would be interested mm-hmm. in because I get this access and I see a lot of stuff that – well, I know almost everybody doesn't see, and it would be a shame not to share it with them because it's exciting for me, so I figure it's probably exciting for other people. So that's where the Instagram um, TV channel is good to promote them, and then I send them to YouTube where they can watch a video up to 15 to 20 minutes in length that takes me forever to do, but um, that time is reducing as I become 
more au fait with the process. Yeah, so you can find this podcast on YouTube now. What else? What other content's gone up there recently? I think there was a Hulkenberg Yeah, I did a, profile. a, a one on Nico Hulkenberg. I've done uh, my best ever video was Wives and Girlfriends. 30-odd thousand views. People love that. Mm. And that, that's before I started uh, gaining a subscriber base. So uh, I think uh, when I update that one, probably in the off-season, that, that could do 100,000 views. And uh, as you know, YouTube, very powerful platform. Mm. Uh, very hard. It's probably the hardest one to gain a following on, certainly. But um, with, with the right content and uh, the ability to pump out a number of them per week, yeah, I, th- I think it could take off. Well, with your recent Women of the Paddock posts, videos like that could take off even more. Yeah, it's it's funny because every Monday I do pictures of 10 women for Women in the Paddock, and I've just got a graphic for that as uh, one of my guys has suggested I needed a graphic. And what I find lovely now is that people I've never met will walk at me in the paddock and smile. And I think, well, that's great because it's a better photo when people smile. Yeah. And then they'll walk past and go, hi, Kim. I go, how do you know me? Oh, we, we follow we follow the Instagram page, and I think, well, that's great because perhaps they want to be on this page. Mm. If they're smiling at me, that would suggest yes. And I tend to pick the best ten pictures, and and I look at I look at people who work in the sport. Barbara from Williams, I featured her last week. Uh, I feature TV reporters like Natalie Pinkham the week before. Wives and girlfriends of drivers like uh, Emilia Bottas, I featured last week, and Kate Massetti Zanini, Pierre's girlfriend. So it's. Uh, it's an interesting thing that I do over the four days because all the time I'm thinking, yeah, I need, I need more content, I need more women. And mm. Sometimes I get to a Saturday and I'll have shot three women that are um, probably going to feature it and I think, oh, I'm buggered. I need another seven. Mm. Here we are at race day. But I always manage to find them. And, uh, yeah, I think people like that sort of, it's not a driver, it's something different, something colourful. And who doesn't like interestingly dressed women? Yeah, again, it's that element of the people around the drivers and around the F1 that make it possible and and make it interesting. I wonder how many photos somebody can tolerate of the same driver week (laughs) after week after week. So it's it's good to get other people who are are important in the sport but perhaps not really focused on. And um, this morning I think I put up pictures of uh, Britta, who's Seb's press officer and Angela Cullen, mm. they have good followings, like really good followings. Britta's been in the sport. She's Seb's press officer. She's been in the sport longer than most drivers. She's been in there for 10 years and has a huge fan base. Um, doesn't go out of her way to ever attract any media attention and often shies away from um, being in the media, but she's very much um, somebody who's well-recognised in the sport. How was last Thursday's F1 dinner? Oh, that was a cracker. We had 21 guests, had a beautiful function room in Perth, and everybody loved it. And and what I found interesting was, yes, they liked the stories, they loved the pictures, more so, well, equally so, they loved networking with other people who were passionate Mm. about Formula One. And in Perth, it's not a huge sport, I think we'd all agree, but uh, to find 20 people that all have the same love, they loved it. And uh, they were swapping phone numbers and Instagram addresses at the end of the night. And I I just thought it was a great way to bring together people who love it. And I've actually scheduled another one for Abu Dhabi on the Friday night of the race. And this will be a beauty because uh, it's the last race of the year. Everyone's quite excited. And we're having it at the Western Golf Club and Spa, which is not too far from the track, halfway between the track and town. 
and it's about 8.45 p.m., I think, to 11. So you can leave the track, watch the last session, have a few drinks, and then leave the track and come and have dinner with us on the way and hear a whole lot of stories from the paddock, um, stories about how I take certain shots, meet some great people who also love F1 and have a great feed. Excellent. We're excited to hear stories from Singapore then. Hear, hear. They will be uh, told with much vigour and enthusiasm next week. To see any of the photos we've talked about today, head over to ProStarPics.com or KimIllman.com. You can also stay updated by following Kim on Instagram at KimIllman and subscribing now on YouTube. If you like what you heard today, please give us a review and remember to hit subscribe to stay posted for our next episode. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you on and off the track. F1 On and Off the Track was presented by ProStarPix.com. Stunning F1 photos live from the track, searchable and downloadable for personal or editorial use. ProStarPix.com. Head there now.